What's up, Bikerman fans? I'm recording this on Friday, June 5th, almost one week after the Black Lives Matter protests started and spread throughout the country. To say this is an interesting time in our history is an understatement, and to say I'm curious about where we go from here, equally so. I like asking questions, I like learning, and I love talking to interesting people. And this week, I got to do just that with my friend Christian. He's black, he's a cyclist, and he's been in the cycling industry for almost two decades. In this episode, we have a candid chat on his back porch about how he's feeling right now, what it's like being African-American in a predominantly white industry, and more. It's an awesome conversation, and I'm seriously stoked that I have friends like this who are open to having the conversations that matter. Here we go. What's up, Bikenware fans? I'm here with my friend Christian McKinney, who is a black cyclist, African-American, person of color, who's also worked in the industry for a while. So, like, we're kind of joking a little bit right before. Is like, I paused in our first intro. This is a retake because I was like, what do I say? Like, black cyclist? Or, like, does it matter? Like, what's the... I don't even know, man. This is, this is going to be a bunch of awkward conversations, I feel like. At least awkward for me. <laughs> but, you know, like, what's... Uh, is there any wrong way of saying it? Oh. Well, let me rephrase that. <laughs> let me rephrase that. I know there are. What is there more right than other ways to like, or is it just cyclists? Like, does it even yeah. matter? Um, it context matters uh, definitely when it comes to you know labels and things like that. But I, I'm a I'm a black man. Like I'm an African American. I'm black, and I also ride a bike. So yeah, call me a black cyclist. That's fine. Um, cool. How'd you get into riding? Man, it's it's a funny story. Um, I was, you know, like a lot of kids, really into punk rock, and you know, I grew up out in the county. But all my friends lived in town, and then my first car was a really big Buick Lesabre, <laughs> and so I had a hard time parking downtown. And all my friends would ride their bikes from their houses to shows, and I was like, you know what, I want to do that too. And uh, I found a, a Peugeot PX10 at a yard sale. And I restored it over a few months, and that was how I got into cycling—just riding around town, going to going to hardcore shows. Nice, cool. And then, what age was that? Like, it must have been like high school. It should be driving. Yeah, I was probably 16 or 17. Yeah. Okay. And then, college—you ride through college? Yeah, um, I went to North Carolina A&T State University, right here in Greensboro. Um, so yeah, I had a bike all through then. Uh, I came up through like the track bike craze and everything. So. Everything was single speed and no brakes and really tall gears and like yeah I was I was one of those kids. <laughs> yeah, how, how are your knees? You know, are they thanking you for that? I, I got out of it soon enough, you know. I got some friends that are barely walking now, but yeah. Oof, I, man. So how did you? Um, and we should say like you've worked for um, a major bike brand for yeah. a little while. I guess like right out of college or? No, it was actually a fair amount of time in between. Um, I you know, I went to A and T. Uh, I took two years off, went back and finished, uh, but during that time to support myself, I worked as a bicycle mechanic at a number of shops in Greensboro. Um, and uh, after college, I was here in Greensboro for maybe a year or two and I decided I need to leave here and I need to go experience other things, see other places, see what cycling is like in different parts of the country. So I packed up and moved to, uh, to Seattle. Um, and then after that, I ended up in Portland, Oregon um, and then while I was there, I ended up taking that position for that major bike brand. Right. Uh, and that's how I ended up uh, in California. All right. And, and we're keeping, if it sounds like we're kind of skirting around something, we're keeping the brand names anonymous just because we really want 
I, you know, I think the focus of this should be on your experience and not have people get lost in the details of like, well, what brand was it, right? Like, what, what happened? You know, it's it's just I think it's bigger picture. Yeah. It, it, ultimately, definitely. right. Um, so you worked for this big brand. Like, what, what was your title? What did you do? Uh, so I was a uh, I was a test lab technician and project. Uh, excuse me, I think it was project technician. Uh, basically, I, I worked in a, a test laboratory for the research and development side of the engineering department. Um, basically, what I did was I I did structural testing and analysis on carbon and you know alloy frames, uh, bike components. Um, I did the analysis on them. I, I, I managed and shuffled all the data around. Uh, I helped maintain a lab with a really awesome team of people. Um, at one point, you know, during my early time at this, this this particular company, it was probably the most diverse department within the entire company. It was actually kind of a weird little microcosm. Uh, you know, I, I didn't really notice it, at, you know, at first, but after the first month or so, I kind of looked around and I was like, there's nowhere else in this company that looks like this department, so, huh. yeah. Yeah, do you think that was by design or just total happenstance? At first, I thought happenstance. After a little while, I, <laughs> maybe I thought it was by design. Um, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at heart, but, you know, <laughs> you can only help to notice what you notice and, and, and draw inferences from that, so. Right. How long were you working there? Uh, I was there for two years. Okay. So what was, I mean, you and I have talked a little bit because you're working at um, Revolution Cycles with Watts now. And, yeah. you know, it, it's been a while since Watts has been a part of this podcast, but <laughs> we'll get him back on one of these days. Um, like, you and I have talked over beers there about some of your experiences. You're like, what were, what were some of the good experiences? And then what were some of the bad experiences? Um, you know, just, you know, as a whole, you know, looking back over like I guess I guess I could call it a career <laughs> it's I was just counting before you came over how long I've been doing this and I'm, I'm 32 I've been doing this 13 years I got my first bike shop job at 19 uh, but um, as far as working for that particular brand you know it's I would I would put them at you know legendary if not highly influential amongst cycling and so some of the things that you experience and the things that you get to see you just you'll never have those experiences anywhere else in in the in the in the cycling community, especially on the inside. Um, meeting world class athletes and 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 helping and being part of a team that provides the bikes that these these athletes go out and win championships on um, was really humbling. You know, seeing a bike that I had basically worked with and touched and analyzed and exploded and. You know, rewrapped and fixed because I needed to use it again. You know, like <laughs> watching that, you know, win stages in the Tour de France was a really humbling experience. You know, um, I'd say those were some of the the proudest moments I had. Um, you know, some of the the less some of the experience that weren't as nice or just feeling uh, the feelings of just being really alone. You know, there are not a lot of African Americans in the cycling industry, well, in cycling in general. There's a lot more than I think the industry really pays attention to. But as far as racing and on the industry side of things, you're not going to see very many people that look like you if you're, you know, uh, have the amount of melanin I do. <laughs> um, and so it was just that lonely feeling, also feeling like you know, people don't really, uh, people don't really, you know, respect what you bring to the table. Um, you know, some people might call it the term diversity hire. I felt that before, um, even working for shops. You know, um, I 
I have a lot of experience under my belt, but it was always feel like I'm having to pick myself up even harder or really work three times and, and four times as hard as my coworkers or have even more experience than my coworkers to be taken seriously. Um, and that was a really hard uh, pill to swallow. It's, it's been a, a pill that's still kind of stuck a little bit and w- working its way down. Uh, but it's a good just, analogy. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, like, I'm curious, man, because I've, well, first of all, do you feel like that was intentional? Like, do you feel like you were being made to feel like you had to work harder on purpose? Or was it just like these kind of like almost, subtle is not the right word, but like, were there things people were doing that they were not even conscious of, yes. but you picked up on? Oh, yeah. They, like like un- what? Unconscious bias and, and you know, like passive, I'll just say passive racism is a very big problem um, in the corporate world. But, you know, even though, you know, cycling and stuff, there's still, it's still a corporate world. I was still in a corporate environment. And a lot of that stuff, people do it unconsciously. So it's, it's like a double-edged sword. One, they don't think that what they're doing or what has happened or transpired is necessarily a racist thing. But two, they don't even realize they're doing it. So it's, that's what it makes, it makes it the most frustrating is because you're, you're trying to explain something and it could be as innocuous as an off comment, but like, just growing up here in the South and being a part of like group rides and things like that and getting a shiny new carbon race bike and showing up and having a guy be like, huh, that's a nice bike, son. Who'd you steal that from? Like, that's the type of, it's, it, it, it goes much deeper than that. You know, it's not calling someone the N word or it's not, you know, being outwardly racist. It's those passive things that really can sour an experience uh, yeah. with a place or with people. Um, but, it, it wasn't all bad, but when it was bad, it, it was bad. <laughs> right. What do you think, um, and, and like, maybe I should preface this with, you know, like there's, I, I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm not, like, I don't think it's fair for anybody to ask anybody else to fix anyone, right? Yeah. But like, clearly there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of things pe- a lot of people are doing, probably myself included, I'm sure I am, Yeah. that like, we're just unaware like we're going about thinking we're not doing anything wrong but maybe we're not doing things exactly right so like what are um you know like in your workplace at the big brand let's just use that for an example what were maybe two or three things that people could have done better okay uh well one i think for one glaring thing was like you know the culture it was you know very much i was in an engineering department it was very much white male dominated um, and with that, there was a lot of um, kind of, I, I guess I'd use the term loosely like frat culture and a lot of things that were overheard because there was a cultural hegemony within my department, you know, people talk and things like that when they don't think other people are listening. And so there were like conversations that I would overhear or even in meetings and just be like, what? <laughs> like, who says that? How do you say that in a, in a company and not get fired? Like, um, but even beyond that, it was just the more dismissal of my, like, like, what? And they're like, oh, oh, sorry, we weren't talking about you, Christian. Just, like, <laughs> well, as long I'm, as you're not talking about me, it's okay, oh, right? Oh, yeah, it's totally fine now. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you for clarifying. Um, so that was definitely a big thing. Um, but then, too, having, a, having a, 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 um, an actual effective and caring uh, human resources department that, that takes this into consideration. And I don't – that's not just – an issue with that company in particular that's across the board in corporate life uh, the tech industry is Jesus like the tech industry is another huge example of that Um, 
having an HR department that actually is uh, not just about face and actually is diverse and reflects like the people that the diversity that the company wants to tout and say that they have. Um, I, I didn't necessarily see that. It, I, I've honestly, being candid, it seemed more that like um, people of various backgrounds filled their stereotypical workplace niche, you know, and that might get some people heated, but it was really like, there was a very, very, very distinct line between the front of the house and the back of the house, is what I like to call it, you know, um, you know, engineering and all the back of the house works, you know, it's people that you don't really see, front of the house, it's all the marketing and the, the, the management and all, it's, it's, it's pretty white faces, and the facilities people who manage the building were all of Mexican-American descent, you have a tech to HR or excuse me a tech department it's majorly Asian one other black person other than me that worked there what was your degree from a uh actually it's my background is in motorsports actually um I my <clears throat> bachelor's is a bachelor of science in motorsports technology and manufacturing systems so hmm. when people ask me what I did I built race cars for four years over a sweet <laughs> um so just whether it's bicycles or cars or aircraft things, I've always been really into the technical side of, of things, manufacturing, how stuff's made, you know. Um, right. So like, I mean, AT&T is a, AT&T, A&T is a, sorry. Uh, it's a big school, right? I mean, largest it's a, HBC in the country. Yeah, and it's, it's really well-renowned as far as I know for tech and engineering and stuff. Um, so surely you had a lot of other black classmates that were in engineering and similar oh, yeah. fields and stuff. Like, did any of them have any interest in the cycling industry um, or going into that? Honestly, I, I, I know I know of one other person that I went to school with that had an interest in cycling at uh, A&T. She was actually a white woman. Uh, huh. <laughs> um, she ended up... Um, going on to become a mechanical engineer actually aerospace i think what she went into but uh no cycling is i, I don't want to say and i'm not going to say it, it, it's something that's amiss to escapes black people because it's not we see it a lot of us participate a lot more than you know people realize like i was saying earlier um but no there weren't very many classmates of mine who even knew you know other than like you know lance armstrong and the tour de france that was the only exposure to cycling they had or you know like the huffy that they rode around on as a kid um, they didn't know that bicycles could cost ten and twenty thousand dollars. They didn't know that like you could be a bicycle mechanic, or you know that, that you know that people actually make living in this industry. They 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 just weren't privy to it. Um, not to say that a lot of us aren't, um, but it's it's more it's a cultural thing. But there's a really big historical reason why you know, and it's not just bicycles. It's the outdoor industry in general. Um, Outdoor sports and, and endurance sports require a lot of money. They require a lot of equipment. Like, one of the biggest things is equipment. You know, with ball sports, all you need is a ball. That's why soccer is the biggest sport on the planet. You just need a ball and some feet. <laughs> Cycling is expensive. And it is prohibitively so for a lot of people in communities of color. When you are living your life, you know, day to day or week to week or paycheck to paycheck, you know, you don't have time to, to worry about like, oh man, I really want to get a new set of Durace wheels for this bike, or I, I just want to get a new bike in general. When you're providing for your family and you're not making enough for your basic needs to be met, 
things like you know really fancy bicycles that we enjoy them or just luxuries yeah well or even not even time to think about but time to ride either, time to right? ride yeah. exactly so i think that's the main reason why you know i didn't see a lot of classmates that were into it or or had any interest in it but to you know even outside and beyond school why it's not uh it's not i wouldn't call it a majorly popular activity for african americans and it's not because of lack of interest it's because of the exclusive exclusivity of cycling or how it can be that way um, right yeah well and then like you said like the forward facing thing i mean what most people see especially non-cyclists is when they're flipping through and they catch a glance of like the tour de france or some other major thing when it's televised you're right like all you see is white people yeah it could be i would imagine intimidating to think you want to get into that you show up for most group rides in your hometown it's mostly white people middle-aged right? you know, professional white people um yeah it's especially in the south man like cycling is already a, a strange thing here you know cycling is already a weird sport uh, you know for most americans looking in but in the south in particular you know we don't have the infrastructure that a lot of other areas do so it's you know presents different challenges but then you throw in like you know the kind of cultural thing of it in the south you know this is land of the cars you, you kind of have to have a car to get around here so people don't look at a bicycle as like a viable means of transportation they look at it as like fitness gear you know and so there's a there's de very much a, a, a cultural divide too i think between you know you look at big cities like new york and up north and out west you know there's working class people on bikes you have couriers you got messengers you got people who just use a bike to get around mm -hmm. versus like you know the fitness people who use it as a, as a means of staying in shape or if they want to you know race and things like that it's a tool versus a, a an actual viable life changing and it's, it's a it's a tool for freedom i think we don't necessarily have that culture it's not as vibrant here it was what i've noticed and that translates over to the group rides that translates over to who sees this sport and thinks like i want to jump in there and do that it can be very intimidating um walking into a bike shop as a black person for the first time can also be intimidating um just here in greensboro when i was a kid um you know one of the major bike shops here i remember being followed around in there as a kid i just wanted to come in and see like the cool bianchis and the, <laughs> and, and you know stuff hanging on the wall and i just remember you know the mechanics being one really rude and salty to me there was one shop that i went in and the mechanics were rude they just yeah they, they just had the rude and salty <laughs> mechanics in town i think that right. was them in the back for sure um but just noticing that i was being followed in a bike shop you know and and, and that's happened to me since like as an adult like as a you know a grown man you know, being at shops and throughout the country and having people, you know, just immediately write me off, hmm. um, not knowing who I am or who I worked for at the time or, you know, just, yeah. Right about here, we took a quick break to grab some water, but I kept recording. And Christian started talking about some of his cycling heroes growing up. So we're just going to flow right into that conversation. Gotcha. Man, yeah, watching those guys, that was what, like, him and, like, Justin Williams, like, Rashawn Bahati was, like, that was like the Michael Jordan for me when I was like up and coming and getting into road racing and stuff. And then like, I remember seeing Justin Williams on the roster for uh, Trek Livestrong. And it was like, whoa, this guy's like my age. He's like a kid too. And like <laughs> that, watching like Legion of LA just like dominate the crit scene now, it's like one of the things I'm just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> I want to be a part of that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. yeah, man. I've, I've followed those guys for like their whole careers and like, you know, you know, I've always been on the tech side of. I had no aspirations to be like a cat one racer. Like I, I was a 
I was a decent four. It's <laughs> <laughs> about where I capped out. Yeah, too. <laughs> I was like, man, do I have enough time or energy to train this hard to like just be, you know, pack fodder? Um, but I always wanted to be the best mechanic that I could possibly be. Um, and going, I, you know, I went to the uh, Bill Whittle USAC race mechanic school at the, in Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center. And I got my UCI license and USAC license. And that was always the goal, just be the best, like, mechanic. Like, for people to be like, oh, yeah, you got a bike built by him or you got wheels built by him. Like, okay, yeah, that's that's good, you know. Cool. Did you ever wrench for a team or? Uh, yeah, I've wrenched for a few small uh, American, you know, pro-am teams, uh, or one pro team in particular, um, based out of Greensboro. Uh, that was we had a, a pro team? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Funny, uh, uh, and then um, I've had I've maintained a relationship with the Colombian national team. Um, uh, their one of their DSs uh, has reached out to me uh, whenever they come to like the United States or Southeast. I'm usually the guy they call. Um, the Winston Salem Classic, which is an awesome race, um, when they come through there, I'm usually the guy that takes care of them. Um, they'll hit me up, and I'll pack up my tools, and I'll go do my my duty for the weekend. Sweet. You know, be uh, be in the, the hot seat in the back. Yeah, that's gotta be fun, man. I'm just like, it's been a while since I've been to a race, especially now with you know all the COVID stuff and nothing yeah. going on. But uh, yeah, you go to the, one of the big ones and you just get that vibe. It's just like this. You can't help but get excited. Oh man, when I'm packing my toolkit up and getting my uh, my roll ready and setting up the back seat of the car, I'm just getting like I'm. I think I'm as nervous as the riders are, you know, because <laughs> right. like they're depending on me, and you know it's. That's a fun feeling being in the caravan, especially when you get like second or third car and you can actually see the race in front of you oh, unfolding yeah. and see the riders getting shelled out the back and you know, <laughs> and you pass by all the carnage and you're like, oh man, I hope they're okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things is being in the caravan, honestly. At one point that was my, my dream was to, you know, be a world tour mechanic, be like the first black world tour mechanic. Like, um, I'd say that's still a bit of a dream, but you know, it's, so there's not one yet. You could still be the first. I could still be the first. Yeah, as <laughs> far as I know, crazy. I haven't seen one. Right. But I could be the first. Um, uh, Team Dimension Data, uh, well, I guess ET. What are they called now? Uh, MTN or M something. Anyway, when they first came along, you would, you know, they're right for Quebec stuff, and they were actually going through and trying to find Black African cyclists. That was like a huge thing for me. I, I remember being like the biggest fan of that team and watching them be the springboard for other riders' careers to go on the other World Tour teams. It's been awesome, you know? Um, cool. What, uh, so like we're talking on, um, what is today, June 5th? Yeah, June 5th. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like uh, the end of the first week of all the protests for the Black Lives Matter thing following yeah. the George Floyd incident. Like. How are you feeling right now? What's what's going on in your mind? Man, I'm feeling everything and nothing all at once. Um, I say the nothing because it's, it's a really hollow feeling, honestly, man. Um, I think what we're witnessing right now is, uh, and this, these are my opinions and my views only, I think what we're witnessing right now is a, uh, is, uh, we're witnessing a festering wound pop open again. There are a lot of scars and a lot of really serious issues that our country has never fully dealt with. And we just keep putting bandages over a gusher. And now it's festering. And it, it's, it's, it's amazing and it's also 
has been extremely exhausting as well because we're finally having this conversation or seem to be starting to have this conversation, but it's all coming at once. And as an African-American man, I'm really tired. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's been wonderful, but it's also been really tiring, you know, to finally get bombarded and to finally just start, like, you know, what, what, what is going on? What, what, what do you think about this? Like, finally people are starting to ask that question. Um, but I also think it's on the people asking the question to dig a little deeper for themselves and to really find out. Um, for me, I think this is, things don't just happen. There, there, are, there, are, there are consequences and, and there, are, um, there are repercussions for everything. What we're seeing with the protests is just a outward manifestation of like just the, the frustration and the, the anger and the sorrow and just all of those emotions, those really hard, thick, visceral emotions coming out. Um, you know, people love to, to, you know, pick and cherry pick about Martin Luther King quotes and all this stuff like that. I was like, but don't do that. That's, that's not, that's, that's very disingenuous. Don't, don't do that. Um, Martin Luther King also said that, you know, a riot is the, is the, is the, the, basically the manifestation of unheard. It's, it's what you get when people feel backed into a corner. Um, this is real life. People are really dying out here. And for so long, we've decided, and I say we, this country, America, this experiment of ours has decided to kind of turn a blind eye to it. But now with technology, <laughs> you, you can't anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the most heartbreaking things that I've ever witnessed, but I have to tie my boots up a little bit tighter and walk a little harder and faster because you know, for so long it's felt like no one cared. Um, I, have to, I have to keep moving. But what we're witnessing now is just a, it's just a manifestation of all of that, of the things that we've not dealt with, the conversations that we've not had, that we've been too afraid to have. People have to stop worrying about awkward situations, awkward conversations, and just freaking have them and, and really come from a place of wanting to understand and wanting to be better as human beings. Um, it's got to happen because if it doesn't, you just keep getting more of the same, and that's what we're seeing now. I th it, 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 it breaks my heart that literally has to be five cameras from six different angles of someone being smothered to death on pavement and like crying out before people finally realize that this is a problem this is a big ass problem um and and it's i don't think it's it's not just george floyd uh, you know it's it's brianna taylor it's you know it's ahmaud arbery you know we're, we're sitting outside talking about like endurance sports and, and outdoors activities and and you, you can't even go for a jog or a stroll through the neighborhood you know about being chased down and, and gunned down like that, you know, about or even at least having somebody suspecting you of wrongdoing for just having on a pair of running shoes and being out and about. Right. Um, doing activities that people who have prejudices don't particularly see African Americans doing or in their small, narrow worldview wouldn't see African Americans doing. Like, you know, the same as, you know, me showing up to a group ride on a really nice bike and someone assuming I stole it or, or people making sly comments to me about like, oh, black cyclists, I don't see that every day or just... It's the it's the little it's the little things like that that really build up to make you kind of shapes your your outlook on what it is that you're involved in and the people that you're involved in too. So.
I think being uncomfortable and having those conversations is what we really need right now. Right. We're, and we're starting to have them. I mean, we're this this has been one this this last week has been a it's just been like a giant snowball rolling downhill, and it's finally it, it's coming to a head. It's it's starting to boil over. Um, you know, my opinions of the protest are, are my own, and I don't really want to go into that. But like, I definitely think that this is something that it's it's organic, and it's and it's it's a natural reaction. It's just like you know, if you were to get stung by a bee and you react and flinch, it's what that's what we're watching. It's not just a it's not just people wilding out in the streets, and it's not just people rioting and going crazy. There are agitators, there are outside people who aim to deflect and to to, to take away from this and, and from the overall message, but I think in general, people are just freaking tired. That's what it is. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, speaking of conversations, yeah, I think hopefully people got something out of this, and I really appreciate you taking the time to have a conversation with us. Hey, thanks for talking with me, Tyler. It's, <laughs> uh, it's been fun. Thanks, man. Hey, real quick before you go, I just wanted to give you a heads up on what we have coming up. The next two episodes are going to be interviews with two amazing pro athletes. One is an EWS pro and the other one, well, I'm going to let that be a surprise, but they are vastly different subject matters from each other and it's going to be so cool to talk to them. So hit subscribe, hit like, give us a rating and review on wherever you're listening. Those reviews and those five star ratings help so much and it helps us get more amazing guests for you. Thanks a ton, and let us know what you think. Hit us up on social. We're at Bike Rumor. We want to hear from you. You can also go to bikerumor.com slash podcast and let us know who you want us to interview next. Thanks, and until next time, keep the rubber side down.